0: The brain is difficult to understand in part due to the complex interaction of billions and billions and billions of neurons. In any high school anatomy class, we can all probably remember coloring in the different brain regions for vision processing or motor control, and that's maybe the lightest uh, superficial level of abstraction in terms of understanding the mind. Then there's the fine detail of individual synapses between neurons. but There's a burgeoning sort of intermediary resolution of an understanding of what the brain is up to that is now being called connectomics. In this episode of the Tech Emergence podcast, we're lucky enough to have Dr. Olaf Sporns uh, from the University of uh, Indiana uh, at Bloomington who is in part credited with coming up with the term connectomics, which is essentially an understanding of these sub-regions of the brain and their complex interaction between each other. As it turns out, there's individual brain regions, not just the cerebellum and other large identifiable uh, portions of the brain itself, but individual clusters of neurons that seem to be speaking with each other, communicating in relatively regular patterns, and serving different intermediary roles within the brain. In this particular episode, we'll talk about how those subregions have been uh, fleshed out and understood and, and discovered, and what the next decade or so of brain science might. Uh, come to tell us about what the brain is actually doing, and how that intermediary level of resolution and understanding the brain might help us to understand how higher level cognition occurs, how memory functions, and all matter of, of other interesting facets of the mind itself. So without further ado, we'll delve directly into this episode with Dr. Sporns. So, Olaf, uh, maybe we could start things off with defining the term that we're going to be exploring today. I know the majority of your research today is on connectomics. Your PhD is in, in the cognitive science domain. Clearly, there's a crossover. What, what is connectomics? How do you explain it to folks that, that haven't heard of it before?
1: Connectomics is a new area, a new research agenda in neuroscience, and it's focused primarily on mapping connections in the brain. Uh, The brain is a collection of nerve cells, for the most part, and connections between them. These connections are extensive. If you actually the connections in a human brain, all the thin wires that that go between neurons, you would be uh, ending up spanning a distance that's halfway to the moon, in in Mm. any single human brain, that is. So it's an extraordinarily dense of connections that we carry around with us. And we now think in neuroscience that those connections are really for what neurons do and for what the brain does as a whole. So connectomics has arisen as really out of of the need to understand these connections better, map them in detail, understand how how they're laid out and what the computational capacity of the brain, how, how, how that's linked with the pattern of connections that we actually find. And uh, there's been a lot of activity in the last 10 years in this area, a lot of efforts directed at technology for mapping these connections. They're obviously extremely dense, extremely small. Uh, That's a very daunting task to really uh, map them in in, in very great detail, and that's an ongoing effort in, in, in a number of laboratories. Another level of detail that we've been able to do a little better with is the connections between brain regions, entire regions of the brain that are as big as your your thumb, let's say. Um, And those so-called pathways between regions, we've been able to map these fairly accurately uh, in recent years, and and we've got good maps now of how connectome uh, uh, connections are laid out at the level of brain regions and how they talk to each other, and that's been very informative in human neuroscience for understanding why certain parts of the brain operate differently than others. Uh, that's been a mystery so far, um, and now we understand a little better why that is so. Connections are key uh, at the level of individual neurons, and they're also key at the level of entire brain regions, and a lot of this work is now beginning to connect in interesting ways to how the human brain operates computationally and cognitively
0: huh so so, and clearly, as you had mentioned, it's a relatively new sort of subdiscipline in the neurosciences um, clearly informed by the the research that's that's come before it. In terms of what we've learned about the uh, the connectomics, uh, the connectome, just so that we can explain it for the uh, the kids at home here, uh, the connectome, if you could define that, I mean, my rough understanding is that this is sort of the aggregate interconnectedness of these brain regions would be sort of the, the connectome of our, of our mind would be some sort of summation of those various interconnected uh, segments and in, in the ways in which they are connected. Is that an accurate perception? You can probably define it better than I.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, uh, we're, we're nowadays uh, quite familiar with, with networks, right? We're all networked yes. together through social media and we're understanding Uh, that networks are really important, connectedness uh, is is how we define ourselves. So we have an intuitive understanding maybe of what it means to be connected and how important it is to have many connections and how some elements of a network are sometimes more important than others. Think of the, uh, the life of the party. Think of the person who is highly connected to other members of their social group and who becomes sort of like a social hub. And it turns out that in the brain, We've got similar patterns. We, we we now know that not all parts of the brain are equally well-connected or are connected to partners in equal ways. There are some parts of the brain that are more highly connected, that are more central as we, as we think of it, in terms of the communication patterns in the brain, in terms of the computations that the brain performs, in terms of the kinds of information they process. And the, the, the network of both, which connectomics, has for the first time given us a, sort of a window on on what these brain regions are, where they are, uh, how, how they're laid out in our brain, how they differ across individuals, how they differ across uh, uh, people in different conditions, let's say of health or, or mental disorder. And there have been enormous numbers of studies now on, on these very highly connected network hubs that we have in the human brain, for example.
0: Got it. So... Um... And and in terms of what we've learned and gleaned, I mean, you know, I imagine some regions of the brain were were somewhat well-known prior to connectomics. So, uh, you know, visual processing or, you know, motor control and and, uh, maybe certain broad segments and and areas of the brain. Um, We had some relatively solid semblance of what did what. Uh, From my understanding, a lot of the early knowledge there was gleaned from people who had horrendous injuries. Um, and, and we could figure out what was wrong with them after they had chunks missing. Um, but, uh, but of, of of course, you know, I th- even you know, decades past, we at least had some rough understanding. Um, how has that been fleshed out by connectomics? In other words, in the, in the last decade here, um, what what segments of the brain? It sounds like what you're articulating is that some areas are again more interconnected than others. You know, certain uh, domains or areas of the brain are are responsible for routing more messaging, sort of like you know, different towers or I imagine there's some kind of corollary with, with how uh, you know, uh, messages and, and data and traffic on the internet or our phone services would, would work as well. It sounds like in the brain, there's those areas that sort of deal with more volume. Um, what has that helped us to flesh out? What has that helped us to, to understand? Um, what kind of greater understanding of the brain at large, in some kind of tangible, fruitful way, um, has that yielded? You know, other than the, the the rough knowledge we had before. Oh, here's where vision's process. Oh, here's where motor control is handled. You know, what what else have we kind of gleaned through that understanding? Yes, that's a really good question. And and in, 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 in the very last part of your
1: question, you put your finger on it. I mean, we've been we've been very knowledgeable uh, for a long time about you know which parts of the brain are involved in vision, or in particular sensory modalities, or in motion, or in, or in motor control, or what have you. Where we haven't been uh, as well informed is about parts of the brain that are involved in higher cognition, how they might be interconnected to each other, and how they actually come to be so highly engaged in what we might call higher cognitive function or even consciousness. And now we know that uh, based on network studies that there are sets of regions that are actually highly embedded in in the human brain network that have access to lots of different kinds of it's only because we have been mapping those connections. We couldn't know this otherwise. These these brain regions are actually not only individually highly capable, if you want to call it that, but they are also interconnected amongst each other. We call this a so-called rich club. It's a very evocative term, and perhaps uh, has some uh, sort of social connotations. <laughs> yes, here. yes. It's those parts of the network that are not only rich, rich in, in this case not in terms of money, but in terms of the number of connections that main, that, that they maintain but they are also interconnected with each other in a privileged way. You see this a lot in social networks where influential members of a social group tend to be connected to each other and tend to cooperate, usually to maximize their influence. In the human brain, we now know that highly connected brain regions that, that reside throughout the brain in the prefrontal cortex, in the cingulate, in the medial parietal cortex, as we call it, different parts of the brain that are actually quite far apart from each other. Those those parts of the brain are highly interconnected and in ways that suggest they are actually co op uh, and, and engaging jointly in uh, information integration, pulling information together, uh, giving us, we, we think, some of the uh, higher cognitive capacities that we have. So that that's uh, a type of interaction, a type of connectivity that we really didn't know anything about just a few years ago and have now discovered because of
0: studies. Curious. And it almost seems like, and this is not uh, a surprise given the complexity of the mind and the brain, but it sounds like it opens up a lot more questions uh, than it does answers. You know, within each one of these individual yeah. brain regions and segments, we have these rich, the rich club or whatever you would call it there. We have all these individual nodes that seem to have so much more activity. You know, what's special about them? What are they routing? Would they be more dangerous to injure than other areas of yes. that you know,
1: exactly. Those are exactly the questions that we can now begin to ask, yeah. ask where things are going in the next five, ten years. Now that we've got a better handle on describing uh, where these parts of the brain are located and how they interconnected, we can now start turning the corner and ask questions about what happens when we perturb these brain regions? What happens when we knock them out? What, ha- what happens if there's an injury or, or a pathway is disrupted? What happens if we stimulate? What happens if we uh, if, if, if we actually uh, uh, make these regions become more active uh, with respect to others? Yeah. What are the consequences of that? And now we're getting from a more descriptive analysis of connectomics the last ten years to an area where we're more doing prediction. We're actually trying to control the brain. We're actually perhaps trying to. Uh, massage the brain into a better state, especially in clinical applications is often very, very highly um, indicated. Uh, helping the brain get better, helping the brain recover from injury, helping the brain get to a state where it's more integrated, more capable. This is now a possibility that we didn't have before because we didn't know how things are connected. Now we, do, now we know a bit about it. And actually slowly turn this corner now and go towards prediction and control.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, and, and it, you know, such is, uh, such as the, the, the experience of, of a new frontier in science, right, in the beginning, you, you don't even know what questions are askable until you figure out at least where your footing is, um, and then, and then you discern, you know, sort of what, what the lay of the land appears to be in terms of the interconnectedness and the, the activity and connectedness of these different brain regions, at which point you can start again experimenting with with what might the the actual applications of these understandings be it's another layer another level another slice of insight as to the how the brain and mind works and now we can start to tinker with that and understand that and see if it can give us uh again the the capacity to to heal ourselves in a better sense or understand the mind in a better sense Um, before we go into your thoughts about the future um in terms of what the desired outcomes would be for uh the field of connectomics um, what would be some of the takeaways that we would really hope at, at some point, however many decades into the future we would have, um, we would, we would be able to attain. So in other words, uh, you'd mentioned, you know, he, the healing of the brain, understanding of different conditions. How might, if we go down this road far enough, how, how might connectomics, um, provide us with insight that would better, uh, you know, our human experience, the, the fields of science in general, what are your thoughts there?
1: Those are very important questions you're raising here, and I think in the near term, it's a little easier to, chart, to, to sort of chart the path forward. In the next, you know, matter of just a few months and years, I think we're going to be getting more and more tools at our disposal for mapping brain networks humans, for uh, discerning how are they different across individuals, and how might these differences play into, you know, mental disorders, clinical conditions of various kinds. And devise clinical strategies for perhaps uh, helping uh, recovery processes. So that's the clinical application. That's that's already happening now, and I think it will happen uh, in increasing uh, magnitude in the, in, in the very near future. Further out, I think some form of fundamental questions we can ask, more computational questions, more more theoretical questions, if you wish. Uh, we happen to have this human brain between our ears, and it's built a certain way. And one question that, that bugs me a little bit is, is it how, what is optimal about our brain? What is actually, you know, is, it, is it actually optimal with respect to some performance uh, in terms of computation or cognition? Or is it possible perhaps that we're not yet um, sort of maxed out in terms of our capacity, the capacity of our connectome to process information? Can we actually make a better brain uh, in the, in the in, 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 in future? Uh, in the more distant future, uh, either by building technological applications that take our knowledge of connectomics and sort of scale it up to a different level, yeah. or by coaxing the brain as it is now, our brain, into a better state, into a state where it's more high functioning. And uh, uh, that's, those are questions that are very much in my mind, you know, like if, if thinking of evolution as being optima, an optimizing process, how far have we gone so far? Is, is, there, is there a next stage we can that's kind of the, that's the sort of question we're investigating now with, with theoretical tools and computer simulations, trying to make the brain, if you wish, even better at what it is.
0: Yeah, and, and man, I'd love to go down this road a little bit just because uh, th- there's there's a lot of fascination on my end there. And, and we've, we've crossed over into these these topics of, of sort of transhumanism and, and uh, neuroprosthetics and things along those lines many a time here. Um in, in that regard you mentioned with with um, you know by modeling and with some theoretical tools how, how do you do that so uh, in other words what what kinds of theoretical tools or, or modeling is being used to explore the optimization of a connectome you know I, I imagine the nitty-gritty of the science is rather complex in terms of just explaining sort of the, the gist there of what you're using to do what and what you actually want to gain from from those experiences you um, How is that working? What kinds of theoretical tools are we using or what are we trying to learn?
1: Well, one of the uh, the simpler manipulations that we can perform in a computer is we can can try to rewire the brain. This is, of course, much more difficult to do in in, in the real world. In fact, it might be uh, impossible even. But in a computer, what we can do is we can take a connectome network and we can... We arrange the wires, we can rearrange the connections, and we can ask a question to that network, essentially making it putting it into a functional state where we measure somehow how well how well it is is it actually performing. And then that can be our cost function or our, our fitness function, if you wish. we can play evolution now. We can basically drive the brain in a direction where it where it continues to improve on its fitness function by rewiring its own connections. And and that's a process where we kind of um, we're kind of simulating evolution uh, as it occurs in in, uh, in, in in nature, and that's a way to optimize a connectome network going in a certain direction. Then we can ask, what what do we see at the end? Does that brain that we've now rewired does that resemble anything we find in nature, or is it completely uh, uh, unbiological? And this will give us insights as to uh, what the boundaries are, if you wish, on biological collect all architectures
0: huh and, and and then that might again probe and prod uh, different ideas around hypothetically what components of our own minds might be enhanced in whatever ways is this prodding prodding ideas around uh, genetic semblance of, of enhancement around uh, the application of neural prosthetics um, how you know assuming that we could find let's say through, through this modeling and, and through an understanding of through animal models or whatever the case may be um, some significantly more efficient connectedness of our senses our motor control um, our memory processing maybe maybe there are you know I mean we're not exactly perfect to today I mean there's plenty of animals with with better motor control in, in different contexts and there's uh, there's plenty of people that are exemplars at different mental capacities that all of us aren't exemplars at. And maybe it's reasonable to suppose that by a little bit of different routing and and lineup and connectedness, we might be able to improve our own capacity, whether it be for um, our own fulfillment, our our own control of our volition, our focus, our memory, our motor, you know, all those various factors. Um, How, how, you know, influencing evolution, I realize that sounds rather... um, uh broad or brash but but these are the kind of things that we talk about in terms of where where that might spawn new ideas is this in neural prosthetics is this in uh, genetic manipulations where where might that path lead us assuming we could find a better way to route things I think that's a
1: that's a that's sort of one of the 64 thousand dollars questions here. <laughs> yeah that's I, the big one my, my own money would be more on nervous uh, and brain machine interfaces and Those kinds of approaches than on genetics because the ethical boundaries are obviously very high. Yes, I, 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 right now I think converting that knowledge that we are beginning to gather about how to build, if you wish, a better brain, converting that into reality that that's a very open question. I think that uh, the technologies for that aren't quite there yet. Um, They're being developed, uh, and we'll see where we where we end up. Right now, what we're trying to do is. Get a better understanding of how the human connectome is laid out. How what what are the network features that drive human cognitive performance? And then once we have isolated those, we're trying to optimize them further. We're trying to drive the brain in a good direction in a computer. And then the question is, how can we convert that into into reality? And that's really uh, something where uh, you know perhaps the technology isn't quite there yet, but you know usually estimates the speed with which science progresses, and in in coming years uh, we'll probably see breakthroughs in those areas as well. So um, currently it's still a matter of describing and understanding and mapping connectome networks, figuring out what makes these networks tick, what makes them capable to uh, achieve cognitive uh, capacities of the kind we see in humans. And uh, once we have isolated those principles, right, those theoretical um, ingredients, if you wish, then I think it's on to technology to, uh, to implement um, variants of machines and, and, and AI and robots, if you wish, that can actually incorporate this and then drive the process further.
0: Well, and, and maybe on that note, I you, know, you had brought up, a, you, you made an interesting statement that we often underestimate uh, the speed at which technology develops, now we've had folks on tech emergence who are very you know bullish or very bearish about uh, how how far you know will will go with respect to neuroscience and artificial intelligence in even the next hundred or 150 years um, never mind you know a, a decade ahead but and, and I would not ask you to be an optimist or a pessimist I would ask you to, to speak your genuine uh, conceptions of this field and, and your own thoughts about this field um, uh, that that you've gained from experience in the coming 10 years you know what do you think might be reasonable that we might suppose that we could glean from this field of connectomics in and of itself you know 10 years out 10 years prior you know i don't even know connect how old connectomics is i know it's not uh, it's not ancient um it's, just, it's old what do you say
1: it's, exact, it's exactly 10 years old now.
0: exactly 10 years old goodness gracious so okay so so um twice twice the lifespan of, of connectomics uh, current history if we look 10 years into the future what might be some reasonable um, uh, degrees of understanding or applications or or, uh, or or kind of furtherments in that in that frontier that you think might be again possible reasonable a decade from now
1: well you know uh, if I, if you had asked me that question 10 years ago when connectomics was sort of in its embryonic stage I would never have, uh, imagined uh, the the extent of of, uh, of growth in the field that, that we now have on our hands 10, ten years into it. So I'm probably going to be completely off with respect the, the to
0: <laughs> No, that's fine. There's no, no need to pull out a crystal ball. It's just about your thoughts, not a big and deal.
1: At the, the very least, we're going to have massive and orders of magnitude increase in the amount of data and in the, in the refinement and the detail and the reliability of the data that we have currently. Um, we're still limited in the human brain because of the uh, you know the, the resolution limits on our observational techniques. yeah this will improve and it might improve dramatically over the next decade. This will give us a completely different picture I mean think of the, the recent Pluto flyby right Pluto was a, was, a, was 10 or 15 pixels that's all we knew about um, uh, Pluto until about uh, you know, in July last last month Yes yes. With with this one advance, we now have a massively increased understanding. I think we'll have similar um, uh, epiphanies in the next ten years. Uh, I, I even remember I'm I'm old enough to remember the uh, the early days of the ge- of the genomics project and and how people thought it could never be done and even if it could be done it would be useless and uh, and it would not contribute much to biology. And now we live in the even post-genomic era already where you know, genomics has completely transformed our understanding of biology. I think connectomics will do the same for neuroscience and for our understanding of the brain. It will transform our understanding. It will become indispensable for how we view brain function in the future. And at the very least, we'll have massive amounts of data that we will have to grapple with somehow. We'll have a massive increase in the kinds of models that we can build, the computational architectures that we can build based on connectomics. Uh, so you know, but 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 I, I suspect we will also have some nonlinearities along the way, some some real surprises that will put us into a new
0: phase uh, in this field, and those are hard to predict, if I can possibly predict. Yeah, they sure are. So it's it's very difficult to tell what kind of clinical applications this research may may yield that will be legitimately fruitful. Um, it's it's no, difficult. I'll
1: I'll make one guess. You know, oh, nowadays, go for it. It's possible to have, uh, for a relatively uh, small amount of money, to get your own, uh, your personal genome, right, and put it, if you wish, into your wallet and carry it around with you. Uh, And uh, and that that was unthinkable when the the genomics, uh, uh, human genome project was first started. Nobody thought it was possible at all. Now it's a thousand bucks and maybe less. I I think in in 10 years it's, it's possible that we will have our own personal connectome. Uh, we will
0: have a, our own personal map of how our brains are laid out, at least at the level of the, uh, the kinds of regions that, that we're talking
1: yes, about. Yes. Sort of like a personal subway map of your brain. Yeah, yeah,
0: interesting.
1: You know, just in case something goes wrong, you know, a, a, a clinician now knows how your own particular personal pathways and brain regions are connected. And this, this would be, uh, uh, you know, have something that you could do routinely in a a lab or in a a medical office and and have it with you as your personal medical record. This sort of personal connectomics in in analogy to personal genomics is now underway. I think I I see that as a real possibility in the next 10 years.
0: Huh, curious. And and uh, you know, you know what I would predict as well. I'll get right into the prediction game with you, Olaf. And I, I know nothing about connectomics, but but uh, this is broad enough for me to feel safe about it. Is uh, and and also not feel uh, pushy or presumptuous. Is that um, just as with genomics, we we now gleaned an understanding of our our own you know genome that we can carry around with us in our wallet, like you had mentioned for a thousand dollars. Just as that understanding. It is, in some ways can be tied to how we might be treated or what medications we may want to or not want to take or what genetic propensities for different diseases we may or may not have. Just as some of that is understood, but some of it is very much not. In other words, you know, um, 23andMe is not really able to tell people... Uh, 23andMe is the, the company that, that does this you know, um, test-your-own-genome stuff there. Um, they're, they're not exactly able to, to, to give you medical recommendations off, off the cuff there. And, and some of that is because we don't quite get all of those applications. We don't exactly know how all those interconnectedness, all those interconnected, uh, genomic factors really influence medication and disease and everything else. And I predict that with respect to our connectome, we might have something similar. In other words, uh, we may have a good understanding of certain aspects of the connectome that will inform uh, our, our our propensities towards certain diseases, the way that we would need to be treated, maybe with certain medications or what have you, but there would be other parts of it that we wouldn't really wouldn't really understand, but it would chip away at the kind of black box of our mind, at least at at some level and maybe give us some some kind of understandings, but I think just as it already has Olaf, I imagine a lot more questions will come up than than answers.
1: Oh yes, and this is why, you know, science is a good business to be in because there's never a shortage of questions, right?
0: No, there isn't.
1: There isn't. And then Oh. <laughs> really a simple answer, is, and I think you're absolutely right we have a simple situation that we have now with um, modern genomics it's, it's pre- has contributed tremendously to our understanding of what goes on uh, in cells and tissues and organisms and yet we still can't answer even simpler questions about how we get from genes to phenotypes. yeah yep and the same will be true for connectomics, but it's progress nevertheless because, we're seeing the reality. The reality of the challenge is now is now made clear, and we can finally also get to personalized therapies in the area of uh, of uh, uh, mental health. We really, uh, if there's one thing I've learned the last uh, ten years of, of looking at connectome maps uh, of many many um, human brains, there is no such thing as an average brain. You know, every brain is different. Yeah. We're still having very unclear understanding as to what these differences, where, where they are exactly, uh, what are the differences that matter, um, and uh, you know, and we need to get in, in this field certainly, as we've done in genomics, we need to get away from looking at uh, at the human brain as an average thing, but looking at it instead as a as a very highly individual object. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's what the progress will be, and then, of course, it will still be difficult, but at least we will we'll, we'll, we'll have gotten rid of a number of questions that are stupid questions, and we will focus on the questions that are actually smart questions.
0: Yep, and, uh, and, and, we'll, and then we'll look back at the smart ones, and we'll call them stupid, too, but yeah. there's a, such... Such a science, like you said, good business to be in because it's, uh, you know, you're not going to run out of work anytime soon, Olaf. On on that note, I know we're just about on time here. I wanted to to thank you for for being able to shed light on some of the interesting questions that have been unearthed here and give us some of your insights about the future of connectomics. So thank you for being with us on Tech Emergence.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with c-level executives top researchers and thinkers in the domains of ai and the intersection of technology and intelligence then make sure to subscribe here on itunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles news market research and trends in artificial intelligence if you found this episode particularly thought provoking feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on itunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.